Just like when they do the clip shows of Friends and The Simpsons, this is the best of 2015 on the Bewildered Dad podcast. So technically this is episode 14, but it is all old stuff from the episodes that have gone before. Because I thought it'd be good to look back through 2015 and see what happened on the Bewildered Dad podcast. Started, what, March time? And uh, I've been doing it fairly regularly since then, although not as regularly as I would like to do it done. But you get the idea. It comes up on your iTunes anyway, doesn't it? You don't have to go looking for it. It's the convenience of modern life. Uh, So coming up, the Heinz letter, the rant that I had at Heinz. Also, a rant about statistics and how they try and trick parents into being scared. We've got a couple of Elsa's favourite words from across the year as well. And the most inappropriate tune that people are singing to their kids is a lullaby because they can't remember the words to the actual real ones. All of those things are to come on the best of 2015 of the Bewildered Dad podcast. Don't forget, see more at bewilderdad.com. Follow bewildered underscore dad on Twitter, facebook.com slash bewildered dad and everything else just is all there all the links that you need are within those spaces and just make sure that you connect leave a review sign up to itunes that would be beautiful thank you very much enjoy the best of 2050 dear mr hines I check regularly and I can confirm that I'm not, in fact, a mum. I thought you might like to know, seeing as you seem fairly certain that I am. Trust me, I am lacking in a few key areas that would qualify me for that position. And I don't just mean that I've never spat on a hanky and cleaned someone's face. The reason I thought I should point this out is that I was feeding my little girl Elsa the other day and noticed this message on your jar of food, inspired by a recipe from Sophie, a mum just like you. I'll be honest, I worry for Sophie. If Sophie really is a mum who is just like me, then biologically speaking, that birth will have been traumatic at best. I suggest we immediately start working on a Pray for Sophie hashtag, which seems to be the done thing nowadays on Twitter and slightly pointlessly on Facebook. Yet I suspect that your packaging is not heralding an advancement in medical science, which finally sees the complex theories explored in Arnold Schwarzenegger's futurology documentary Junior come to fruition. I have an inkling you're actually just making a a wild assumption about whose job it is in the house to feed the baby. For a large part of the last century, men's primary tasks in life consisted of hunter-gathering, bear wrestling and explaining the offside rule, with women merely required to iron their husband's bear wrestling trousers, throw their underwear at sweaty Welsh singers and bring up the kids. But this is generally no longer the case. Don't believe what Peppa Pig tells you about fatherhood, and I really hope you don't formulate your worldviews based on what you see on a Channel 5 animation series. Some 21st century fathers can competently change nappies, enjoy attending playgroups, and yes, many even feed their offspring. What a world we live in, Mr Hines. It's even been reported that nowadays some dads will allow their children into the drawing room before they've had a chance to light their pipe and start on the Times cryptic crossword. I imagine this is a shock for you. 
I'm not claiming discrimination. I'm a white middle-class male, so that might be a little offensive. But this is just another tiresome example of everyday sexism, and there's really no need for it. Couldn't you have replaced mum with parent and avoided having to trawl through this slightly pompous, sarcasm-rich open letter? Although if Sophie really is just like me, then you'll be used to dealing with that. All I ask is that you think about what messages you release into the world. It's not political correctness gone mad. It's about avoiding enforcing lazy gender stereotypes to children, meaning that they grow up free from the outdated conventions of 1970s sitcoms. You never know, Mr Hines. Just by changing that one word, you can help us build a society where kids can follow the life that they want to lead, regardless of their gender, and where there are free unicorns for everyone, or something. Anyway, I think I've made my point. It's usually at this point in an open letter where someone will call for a boycott of the offending company's products, but I really like your beans, so I'm not going to be doing that. Regards, Mr Hines, from Jim, hashtag not a mum. Oh, P.S. If you're still struggling to understand how annoying it is, Mr Hines, then imagine how hacked off you'd be if people just presumed you were a man because you ran a multinational company. So I wrote that letter, as you see, fairly tongue-in-cheek, but I think it got the point across. And it got picked up bizarrely in places like uh, the Irish Journal and uh, in the, the uh, Independent in the UK and stuff. And it, is, it was good, but with it came the commenters on the internet, particularly on the British Telecom home news site. Yeah, that is a thing that actually exists, apparently. If you're going to take the good, you've got to take the bad. I'd prefer to take the middle line, but I did read all of these comments, including the ones that said, Oh, he's got a lot of time on his hands to be wasting it writing this letter. I refer you to my point just a couple of seconds ago. These are people commenting on news stories on the British Telecom home news site. <laughs> I have a 20-month-old daughter, as I said, Elsa, and she is learning to speak and she's picking up new words all the time, which means you have to be so careful around her, no swearing. There are some words that are easier to pick up than others. Mummy and Daddy, she picked up quite quickly, which was really nice, but she has got a favourite word at the moment, which is slightly more annoying, and this is that word. <coughs> yes, Elsa's favourite word is again, which means anything you do, you have to repeat five, six, seven times because she loves saying... <coughs> You just keep hearing that at the end of every song that you sing, at the end of spinning her around, at the end of feeding her, everything. It's always... And it actually gets a little bit tiring, especially if it's something physical that you were doing, kind of like throwing her up in the air, and she says... And you just think, oh my goodness, can my arms actually take this? The worst one was when I taught her the song The Grand Old Duke of York, and she loved it so much she said... Quite a lot of times, which means that those poor 10,000 men have been up and down that hill more times than they ever imagined they might do. No, Elsa, I don't think that joke really needs repeating. Now, a survey came out this week, which I thought I had to bring to your attention. And it is that apparently parents are no longer singing the old sort of nursery rhymes to, and lullabies to get the kids to sleep because they don't know the words to them. And that, I can see that because I get a couple of lines in and then just have to go, which is all right at the moment because Elsa, my daughter's 17 months. When she actually starts to know a little bit more, she'll be going, mm, Daddy, I don't think that's quite right. Like the little Simon Cowell, I'm sure she will be. 
So, parents are now starting to sing football songs like You'll Never Walk Alone, rugby songs like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, and pop music. That's apparently popular. BT, British Telecom, a reputable firm, surveyed 2,000 parents who said that they had pop songs they sang to get their children to sleep, including this inappropriate song by Pitbull and Kesha. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. This bigger than boys are digging it down. I have them like Miley Cyrus clothes on, twerking in their bras and thongs. Timber. Face down, booty up. Timber. Who is singing that to try and get their kid to sleep? Who actually, whilst we're talking about it, can understand or remember those words apart from maybe Pitbull himself? And even I'm not sure he managed to do that in one take. This kind of reminds me of when we went to get our first dance lessons because we didn't want to be stepping on each other's toes. So we went to a woman who had a website that suggested first dance songs and it was all things like Celine Dion and Westlife. And then right at the bottom it said, oh, you might want to do a first dance to this tune. Can't touch this. MC Hammer for your first dance. Needless to say, we did not take her up on that offer. But my favourite song that's in the top 10 tunes that parents are apparently singing to their kids to get them to sleep at night, the modern lullabies, Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby, the third most popular song. Seriously. I wasn't sure that that would work out in a kind of chilled out, relaxing way in the nursery, hoping to get that baby to sleep so you can get on with your evening and not be interrupted three or four times overnight. So I commissioned this from my friend John, and you are more than welcome to play this to your children at bedtime. You might not want to, though. This is the Vanilla Ice Lullaby. Yo, VIP, let's kick it. Ice, ice, baby. Ice, ice, baby. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with a brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly. Flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow. To the extreme, I rock a mic like a vandal, light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle. Dance? Bum rush the speaker that booms. I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom. Deadly when I play a dope melody. Anything less than the best is a felony. Love it or leave it. You better gain weight. You better hit bullseye. The kid don't play. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. So what they did was they came out with this story about how picky eating in children is a sign of mental illness and that parents and doctors have been disastrously wrong to just presume for decades that kids will grow out of it. Except actually the research didn't really say that. Okay, there were 3,000 children aged between 2 and 6 studied by the Duke Centre for Eating Disorders. A fifth of that, so 600, were branded selective eaters. Of that fifth, 18%, so 108 kids out of 3,000 were moderately picky. 
and 3% to 18 were severely picky. Now, of those 226 children, out of 3,000, they were apparently twice as likely to display symptoms of depression and anxiety as the normal eaters. But it doesn't say they'll definitely develop them, just as they're at greater risk. Now, the Mental Health Foundation says 10% of all children suffer a mental health issue at any one point, which would mean, following the logic of the study, 20% of the moderate and severe picky eaters might. So that would suggest that 25 children out of the 3,000 studied will display the link between picky eating and depression and anxiety. Now, that is horrible that those 25 children will, but not really a big enough percentage of 3,000 to go, oh, my goodness, she turned her nose up at runner beans. She's going to have a hideous future. It's just this is a complete scare story. It's less than 1% of the children studied are going to display any link, even according to the actual survey. However, every newspaper jumped on the story going, oh, you know what, if your child doesn't eat some food, my goodness, they're in for a really bad life. You know, we know that we obsess about our children's health. They know that eating is such a major issue in houses as well. We're primed to click on that sort of article when it pops up in your Facebook timeline. Now, I've got no idea why we want to hear those horror stories, but we just do. Human nature's a funny thing, isn't it? We want to see the horrible things to scare ourselves for some reason. And that's why they manipulate these figures. They cut and paste them and they splash them all over websites. It's fairly reckless. It's unfair. It's downright lazy as well. And they just hope that we're too sleep deprived to see through all the the hyperbole. And usually, you know what? We are. And that's what really annoyed me about this survey is actually what it's saying is a very small amount of children who are picky eaters will have some mental health issues. But the story was presented as if all children who refuse to eat any foods will have trouble. And it's just not the case. Rant over, relax. Now, my daughter is 21 months old and she's starting to put words together. It's a really exciting time, but she is getting some words wrong to hilarious effect. She thinks she's saying the word funny. In fact, she says this word. Fluffy. Now, it was after she saw a fluffy dog walking through the park and uh, my wife pointed out, oh, look, that dog's fluffy. But because Elsa thought that it was funny that there was a fluffy dog, she now thinks that funny and fluffy are the same word. So you'll tickle her, she'll lie about it, she'll go, ah, ha, 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 and then say... Fluffy. Which is wrong, but is very fluffy in itself. Now, it has ruined her karaoke career, though. She did do this uh, Smith's cover on karaoke karaoke the other day. Then she tried to do this Elton John song. It's a little bit free This feeling inside And when they recast Goodfellas with her in the Joe Pesci role, well, it just was a complete disaster, to be honest. You know, you're you're funny. (laughs) I'm free. How? I mean, free. Like I'm a clown, I amuse you. much for listening to the best of 2015 on the bewildered dad podcast hope you enjoyed it there will be another proper podcast with new stuff on it in the next couple of weeks possibly potentially maybe fingers crossed 
You know how it works by now. Get signed up to iTunes or Stitcher, leave a review, and have a look for more at bewilderdad.com. <laughs>